Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to your Partner in Success Radio, where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and your professional goals. I am your host, Denise Griffiths, and together with my truly amazing guests, we bring you inspiring and actionable insights aimed to take your life and your business to the next level. Ranked in the top percent globally, this podcast really is a must-listen, and again, it's because of my guests. So whether you are tuning in for entrepreneurial tips, career advice, or personal development strategies, get ready to turn inspiration into action challenges into triumphs, and dreams into reality. And our topic today with my returning guest, Anthony Anarino, is his most recent book, The Negativity Fast, which is on my desk. And I also have another book that he sent me when he was here the last time called The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. Anthony is a highly respected author. He's a speaker and a sales leader who has spent over three decades, helping individuals and organizations achieve their sales goals. In fact, Seth Godin, author of This Is Marketing, says about the negativity fast, the actual title of this book is The Positivity Buffet. It's a hands-on, research-based, and practical guide to taking control of how we see the world. If you value your freedom, independence, and responsibility, you'll be thrilled to give it a try. So all that to say... Anthony's passion for sales is infectious, and his expertise in the field is really second to none. He has a true talent for breaking down complex sales concepts into simple, actionable steps that anyone can implement to achieve success. Anthony, welcome back to your Partner in Success Radio, and thank you. I I want to um, do something very quickly because you missed one of the reasons why somebody should be listening to this podcast. Your voice, just that voice. I think people come here for that voice. Oh, see, now we're done. We don't have to talk anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. And see, I don't hear it. Well, and I think I've shared this with you. If I accidentally hear my own voice, I I just kind of do what we call in the South a a whole body frisson. To me, I sound like I'm about to say, happy birthday, Mr. President. I think (laughs) I sound ridiculous. So I don't go listen to it. It's a, you have definitely have the voice for this. I can tell you that much. Oh, thank you. That you are so kind. So I wanted to I wanted to tell you before we get started how much I appreciate these books that you have gifted me with. They are a very important addition to my entrepreneurial library. So let's get started. Tell us a bit about you and your background. And honestly, Anthony, I'm going to be muting a lot because I want you to do the talking. These books are phenomenal. Where do we want to start? Do you want me to go back uh, to brain surgeries and all of that stuff? You know, we talked about that the last time you were here, didn't we? Yeah, we did a bit. Yeah, well, let's just send everybody back to the first one because these they're both very important. So let's talk about the negativity fast because you sent me this book, oh, geez, months ago, and it took us this long to get you on on the show because I'm so booked up, thank goodness, but... I've read this book twice. I've got sticky notes all over it. It's getting fat. It's got sticky <laughs> notes everywhere. So let's let's talk about some of the key techniques that you use because sales professionals, we're all in sales. If you're a three-year-old, you're in sales and you're going to win every time. True. That's a hundred percent true. They're the best <laughs> negotiators ever. Uh, little they ones. are. They are. I watch parents with their three-year-olds, and I'm just thinking, you're gonna lose. I don't know why you're bothering. You, you already lost. They'll they'll keep asking until they get what they want. That's exactly right. So let's talk about the the negativity fast. Oh, and before, let me open up one of my stickies. This one is one. This is one of the first ones. I went. Oh my god. It says negativity is biological. And mm-hmm. I just sucked in wind when I read that. So let's talk about that. Yeah, it's a, it's very easy 
to put yourself in a situation where you are negative simply because of your physical body. So if you're not getting, now I know you're not going to say that this is the right number for you, but if you're not getting seven to eight hours of sleep, uh, you will have a propensity to be more negative than positive. Uh, if you get more sleep than that, you're going to feel a lot better. So that's one of the things. The other thing that we can do to make sure that we're negative is just don't drink water. If you just don't drink water, uh, you will start to dehydrate and that will do a whole bunch of things to your body that is not good for you. And then you'll also feel more negative. Uh, if you don't eat well, and some of us don't eat well because we're on the road doing keynotes and things like that. But if you're eating poorly and you're especially eating a lot of sugar or something like that, that will change your chemistry so much that that will cause you to be negative. So I think this is like the easiest thing to do. There's this idea called SHED, and SHED is a, an acronym for sleep, hydration, uh, exercise, and sleep. And then um, there's one other thing. What is it that I'm missing? Oh, I, I always add joy to the end of this. I think if you're not joyful, uh, it's probably not really good. So you should be joyful too. And see, I sleep is, is not something, it's not a good skill for me. It never has been. I've slept, you know, people say, oh, I slept like a baby. So you were up every hour, you know, after hour and a half time stuttering, <laughs> two hours screaming for something, water, diaper change, what are you up to? So I do sleep like a baby because I cat nap. I sleep for, you know, bits and snatches at a time, but I've done it all of my life. So I don't think it really impacts me. I hope it doesn't. But Me too. Maybe, as, yeah, maybe as I get older, I'll, oh God, I'll sleep even less. Okay, now I'm scared. But I drink a lot of water. I am so grateful and so thankful for water. And I tell it, I was taking a sip of water just as you said that. I always tell my water, thank you. I love water. Always have, always will. Exercise, I get. And joy, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's all I've got. So I don't want anything different. I refuse. When I catch myself being negative, I sit myself down and have a nice long chat with myself. I take myself outside, no matter what the weather is, and I breathe. Breathing's really a good Ground thing if you want to be positive. Just breathing, uh, that can make you more positive than negative. Just that. It's another part of the our physiology and how that impacts us. Uh, if you can sit down and just breathe, uh, it'll take all the stress and anxiety away if you just focus on that. It's a great know, strategy. It, it works for me. And you know what I do when I'm really needing to say, okay, Denise, calm down, focus, because focus for a lot of people, and I'm guilty of it, focus can be you know, like a bumblebee darting around. Like, you know, I catch myself squirrel braining all over the place. And I know I'm mixing metaphors. But when I really need to sit, focus, and breathe, I will touch my my chest between my breasts, obviously, where I think my heart might be. Yeah. And I'm touching that, and I'm talking out loud to God, the universe, my spirits, whoever is listening to me. I'm talking out loud while I'm breathing. I calm down within seconds. Now, that's a good skill to have. Uh, if more people had that, things would be a lot easier for their for their lives if they were just able to center themselves and just get rid of that anxiety and that stress or anger if they have anger. Uh, getting rid of that's really, really important. And most people don't know this, but if you are angry a lot, uh, you will have uh, physical problems. And you may have some uh, stress and some anxiety that you don't need to have um, just, just because you're angry. And that's really unhealthy for you. So if you can do anything to just remove anything that's causing you to feel negative, uh, it will do a whole lot for you uh, as it pertains to having a, what we, we don't believe that there's no reason for you to be negative. Like sometimes something happens, you should be negative. But if it's not one of those things and you're just grouchy, you should just try to settle down, let this thing go, and then go back to trying to be as positive as you can. You're not going to be positive all the time, but you should try, you should try to try. do it more. 
And there's a difference in my, my way of thinking between being irritated, which happens. I irritate myself on occasion and being angry. I think those are two different ends of the the line, if you will. You right. start being irritated, then you go to angry. Angry can become habitual. And I stay away from those people. It's really bad for you um, mentally and physically. It does a lot to your body when you walk around being angry. And I'm an Enneagram 8. So that that's like my default is angry. And so I've had to do a lot of work. One of the reasons I did the negativity fast was to get rid of that angry. When I started it, I, I thought I have to be more positive than negative. And I was angry. I had a professor, his name was Mike Distelhorse, and he said, you're really angry about a lot of things. Uh, you need to figure out how to lay that down. And it, like that's a really good thing to say, right? But how do you execute it? Like So I didn't get any execution. About six months after he gave me that advice, I decided to get rid of my anger, my negativity, any sources of negativity, including politics. I'm uh, post-political. I have no... I'm not going to be emotional about that for sure. I'm not going to be uh, angry about any of it. Turn off the news. Everybody who's listening, turn it off. Turn it off. All you're doing is you're being fed uh, a type of poison that will ensure that you're negative. Uh, mm-hmm. That That is all they're doing is they're feeding you fear. And when you eat fear for every single um, dish that you have, it will start to cause you to be way more negative than positive. Most of the people who have read this book that have sent me a note have said something like, I'm now post-political and I've turned the news off completely and I feel way better now. (laughs) Of course you do, because you're not taking in all this negativity. That, if you keep watching the TV and you sit in front of, let's say, Fox News or MSNBC and People are talking about how the other guys are the the bad guys and we're the good guys. And that's just not a good way to think about uh, your your peers, your family, your neighbors. And uh, all of us have our own beliefs and we have our own experiences. But once you start turning the TV on and watching that routinely, you will immediately start becoming more negative than positive. It's all propaganda. Listen, I turned off cable Oh, 2010, you know, I would have the news on in another room and I it wasn't really listening, but then I had it on for background noise. And I realized at some point that my stomach hurt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was tense. The back of my neck hurt. My stomach hurt. And I started thinking, well, what in the heck? And I realized that I was listening to all this propaganda. Yeah. And I said, okay, hell with you. And I cut off cable and I've never gone back. Yeah, I haven't either. I have no interest. Uh, I just don't think there's anything good there. If you wanted to, well, here's what people ask me, Denise. They say, how am I going to know what's going on in the world? And I tell them, all your negative friends are going to tell you the bad things that are happening. You don't have to, you don't have to look for it. They will want to share it with you. Like, are you seeing what's going on over here? They're going to want to try to divert your attention to the thing that they're worried about and their fears. And it's just not worth doing that. So I think that the best thing for us to do is to try to avoid all of that. If you want to pick up something and read it, uh, pick up The Economist. Uh, They are uh, out of England and they're not trying to divide uh, the American populace like uh, our, our media does. So that's something that you're going to get information, but you're not going to get the information that's designed to be fearful. Exactly. And listen, I know what's going on in the world. I keep very well abreast of it, but not through legacy media in the United States. I don't trust them. I haven't for a long, long time. So I go across the sea, across the pond, if you will. But, and here's something, and I know you you think the same way is that you can read it, but you need to apply critical thinking to it. Is this real? Is this really real? Where can I find more information? Don't just take the headline and go, oh, okay, that's it. It's not it. Yeah, one of the the things that I'm concerned about right now, and I've been writing about it occasionally, is um, 
there's this concept called post-literate society. Um, and that means that we're not reading, we're not using that critical uh, view that you're you're describing. And I'm afraid now that we're not in post-literate uh, society. I think we're in post-post-literate society because we have this generation TikTok. And if you can only focus on something from eight to 12 seconds, that's not very good for your thinking. And when you go out and you're watching these short reels that people do, you're not really getting anything more than a bumper sticker. So it's a one thought, very short, no context, no understanding, nothing deep enough for you to really understand what that would mean if it was something bigger and better than that. And I'm concerned that people don't read anymore and they just do all the passive things because we can watch YouTube, we can watch Instagram, we can watch uh, TikTok. I, I don't I don't do those, but other people do that. And I think that it's shortening their already very small amount of attention that they can give to anything for more than eight seconds. So I think that that's a problem. And I also think that that is going to cause people to be more negative too, just because this platform seems to do that, especially take. I agree with you. And listen, as you know, I'm a voracious reader. I've got hundreds of books in this room and they were all gifted to me by people like you. I have read every single one of them. And I have one particular shelf, which is the, let's go back and read this again. You know, they're going to be in my hands quickly because there's something so important in these books. And I'm finding out or I'm observing, I don't have any, you know, hard facts to go with this, but I'm observing that people really are not reading the way we used to. You know, when, look, when I was a kid, my mom would line us up, take us to the library. We would each of us take as many books as we were allowed to, and we would go home. And if it was just too hot or too cold to be outside, we'd get in the living room, we would read. I can read a book literally in a couple of hours. We all could, and we would pass it down the line. You know, when we were in the library, we say, are you getting that one? Okay, well, I want to go get something else. We collaborated on what we were going to be reading. I would take out as many books as I could when yeah. uh, we didn't have any money. And I was always horrified to have to bring the books back because I some of those that. books were so important to me. And then I had to go give them back and I never wanted to give them back. And I thought, when I am able to get my own money, I'm going to buy these books and I'm going to keep them. And I think I have uh, close to 3000 in my house right now. You and me both. And I've got them in the garage. They're in closets. I have an armoire that's in one of the, the bedrooms. It's stacked with books. If anybody wanted to hang their clothes in as a guest, they would have to just leave them in their suitcase. I'm not moving those books. <laughs> but I understand. So my guess, my wish is that more people would actually sit down and read and enjoy and read anything you can lay your hands on. I'll read the back of a cereal box and I don't eat cereal, but if that's all that's in front of me, I'll read it. Uh, you're a reader and that's what I we do. Know. Yeah. I, I started a book club called uh, the one up book club. And we're reading what I'm calling uh, substantial or consequential books. So we're reading things that are really uh, full of in insights about the future. And I've got, and I think, 60 people now uh, that me, have joined this. Give me a couple of titles off the top of your head. This one's a big one. So um, you're a reader, so you can do this. I am. About 500 pages. It's a book called The End of the World is Just the Beginning. And it's by a guy named Peter Zehan. Uh, he's a great writer. Uh, he's done a lot of thinking about the world and what's going to happen over the next two decades. Most people don't know this. Uh, we did not have enough babies. Nobody else did. Demographics are terrible for us. And globalization is getting shut down right now. And so the world's going to be very different over the next two decades, for sure, really? and maybe a little bit longer. So that book is a wonderful book. But if you like audibles, uh, the delivery that Peter Zehan gives on the audible that he did himself is so entertaining and so passionate and so fun that you will be able to listen to all 15 hours. Um, I did it at 1.25. Uh, it's perfect. 
Uh, it's a very, very long book, but you will not see the world the same way after you. It's one of those books you won't see the same the world the same way as you thought you did. So that, that'll change your mind. I'm heading that way. I listen to audible books when I'm trying to go to sleep because I have to talk myself into going to sleep. So I'll turn on a book and I've got some that I just keep turning on over and over and over again. And I find something new because honestly, I'll wake up and go, Hey, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> so I'm absorbing when I'm sleeping, but I'm going to go grab that one. How do I get in your book club? I would love to be in there. Oh, we'll get you in. Um, that, that's not hard to do. And then uh, the other one that you might want to look at is a book called Same as Ever. So that first book is about all the changes that are going on. Uh, Morgan Housel, uh, this is his second book. His first book was called The Psychology of Money. This one's called Same as Ever. And it's about the things that aren't ever going to change. And it's kind of like a Glad Gladwell book. Uh, it's got Ooh. lots of stories, lots of insights. It's a very good book. So that that's another one that I would recommend too. I am in. And just so everybody knows, when I'm listening to Audible, I don't listen to, to fiction. I have no interest. I'd rather read that because I can populate the images in my head if right. I'm reading it. But if it's a business book, I like to listen to it because I can be moving around the house. I can be walking the dog. You know, I, I'm not a TV or movie watcher. I can't just sit there and, and turn my brain over to something else. Although I did love Top Gun Maverick. I'll say that. <laughs> but that's still, a good, that's a good movie. It, it that's is. a very good movie. It really Tom, is. Tom Cruise, I think is the last, uh, I don't know. Like he's, yeah. he's the he's movie it. star. That's exactly right. There's nobody like him. Nobody's got his body of work. And you'll hear people say negative things about him. I think he's a heck of an actor and he works hard. So you have to admire his accomplishments. But that movie, I just, you know, I saw it in the theater for, the, I hadn't been in a theater since Harry Potter. I just don't go. And I got home and I bought it. It's, you know, I can <laughs> turn it on any old time I want. Just listen to the music, you know. He just makes good movies. He, he does. Yeah. But he wasn't good at Jack Reacher because Jack Reacher is supposed to be a big guy and, and he's not yeah. really a big guy. No, I haven't watched those and I haven't watched any of the MI5, whatever those movies are. I, I really, I'm going to, I'm going to tell myself, tell myself here, but I had never seen the first Top Gun movie and the weekend that Top Gun Maverick came out, I had friends over and you know, it, it was all over the news, you know, on Twitter and here, there and yonder that, you know, this movie was going to be huge. So we all decided to take a lunch break on Monday and we went to the theater. It was empty, thank goodness. And we walked out of there. We couldn't even talk. We couldn't even <laughs> say, what did you think about that? We were just silent. And I got home and I bought it, <laughs> which I don't it's a tremendous and when you see it in the theater you're just blown back into your seat going oh my god oh my god it's a beautiful movie yeah it's wonderful we are really getting off center but that's okay you know what i'm <laughs> gonna have to have you come back i do this every time i talk to you it's like oh you gotta come back okay so let's talk about empathy because mm. you know i think there's a lot of misconceptions about empathy i really Me too Okay. I, I think in the business oh. world, people talk about that, but they don't really practice it. I think it's just something that you're supposed to say uh, that we're empathetic. Yeah, like, uh, oh, I'm authentic. Really? If you have to tell me, you might want to rethink that. Yeah, I, I have this belief that uh, empathy is walking uh, two miles in uh, somebody else's shoes, but compassion is recognizing that their shoes are too small. And then going and getting them a pair of shoes that fit them. So I think compassion is what we really should be making the the goal. But let me talk about empathy. My brother, uh, Jake Anarino, is a comedian. If you go see him and you are offended, uh, I have warned you. Uh, so you've now been warned. Uh, if you're in the front row, I promise you that you're going to have a, you'll have an interesting time. <laughs> that, that, that I can say. He's in Japan right now. Uh, he's going on an Asia tour right now. So he's in Tokyo uh, speaking right now. So that's an interesting thing. But he's the one that gave me this idea. 
as he drives around the United States from place to place, he was really unhappy about how people drive. And so there's a lot of people who are just not very good drivers. And a lot of times he felt like he was being threatened by how bad people were driving. And he described them as having a road rage. And and then coming back from uh, Florida last year one time, there was a guy trying to get in front of his car. And he looked over at the guy's face and he realized that this guy was under some sort of duress. And he thought and it's in his mind, like this guy is too far away from a rest stop. And, and that's why he's driving this way. Now, how could he know that? So I asked him that, how could you know that? And he said, because it happens to me all the time. And then I really try to get close to a, a rest stop or a gas station. And I said, you have no idea if that guy was has road rage or if he's just a bad driver. But he said, it doesn't matter. Uh, I just said he must be under duress. And uh, I just let him go in front. So he rolled down the window and he said, go, go. And he just started telling the guy to go in front of him. And the guy went in front of him. And if you've never been on a freeway in Florida, I can promise you they are the very worst drivers uh, ever. So it's hard to determine exactly why they're driving so bad because they do that routinely. And I thought that is just a brilliant insight. Like you can just have the empathy for that person, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. Maybe he needs to get to a restroom. Maybe he's got a prescription for his young kid. Maybe his wife's about to have a baby. I don't know what's happening, but all you have to do is just give them something that's uh that could be true, even if it's not true, and then just be empathetic and let them go by. It's a lot better than having uh, any kind of conflict or road rage or anything like that. And now he's practiced that now for a couple of years, and he's a better driver, and he's a lot happier. Uh, you can do that anytime you want. I mean, I was at a grocery store, and there was a, a very uh, old lady and she was talking to the cashier for a lot longer than people were comfortable with. And I thought, maybe she doesn't have anybody. And maybe this is the only person that she talks to. Yeah, she was probably and, lonely. Yeah, and she's probably lonely. And and you're going to wait for a few more minutes? Just wait for a few more minutes. It's not it's not a big deal. Um, you're in a grocery store. And if we would do that and just give that as a gift to other people, just give them that empathy. Not only is that good for them, it's way better for you because you're no longer angry or let's say um, not patient and irritated. Yeah. irritated. Yeah, all of those things. You can get rid of those things just by changing what you believe about that. I think it's one of the more powerful things in the book that that can definitely help you feel a lot better, a lot more positive, more of the time. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm thinking about this lady because I, I live in the deep South. We chat, they chat. I don't. Well, I'm lying. I have to, you know, somebody says hi to you. How's your mom and them? You got to talk to them. Doesn't matter how introverted you are, but sometimes, especially here, because I live in Cajun country and these people are fascinating you have to learn to understand their accent, but boy, they've got some stories. And sometimes I, you know, I'll just kind of lean back and listen to them. I'm probably going to learn something. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're taking up too much time in whatever line they're in. I don't care. They're funny people. I enjoy listening to them. Sometimes I can understand them. Um, <laughs> it's the, difficult. The, 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 the coach of uh, LSU, uh, who's not there anymore, but I forget his name, but I could never understand what he says. Right. When I, you know, when I first got here, I moved here from California when I was really pretty young. And I remember asking somebody, what language is that? And they said, English. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while before I could say, oh, hi, and answer back in a way that made sense because I caught every third word. But once you get used to it, you're used to it and you don't even hear it anymore. But it's there's a learning curve. No doubt about it. But up here in the north, we don't have uh, mud bugs and we don't have uh, etouffee. So, crawfish, yeah. yeah. Hey, it's coming on crawfish season. Woohoo. And weed alligator. I tell, you know, 
we will eat anything that doesn't get away quick enough. <laughs> so just be careful what's on your plate. I was at a at gathering one time and I looked at this slab and I'm not a big slab of meat person, you know, chop it up and hide it under something. And there was this big chunk. It looked like a chicken breast. I said, what is it? I said, that's Nutria. I said, Nutria rat. And they said, yeah. I said, here, take it back. Take it back. I no, didn't I, even want to hold the plate. That that can't be as good as uh, etouffee. Oh, God, no. Nothing it is. It can't be. <laughs> no, nothing is. <laughs> but listen, we're talking about empathy. And, you know, I do, it seems to be a catchword these days. There's, oh, you know, we're using empathy and we're being authentic. But are you really? And I really like how you moved that from empathy to compassion. Have you ever listened to Greg Braden? Yeah. Okay, me too. And he talks a lot. About, I listen to him when I'm trying to go to sleep. You know, he talks a lot about compassion. And that's a completely different thing than empathy, I think. Yeah, and I think empathy is you understand how somebody feels. Exactly. And but it's compassion probably is probably compassion means I'm doing something about it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of us and I'm not going to use the word empaths, but a lot of us, especially if we're introverted, I am going to use the word empaths because we listen between the lines. We hear things that you probably don't understand that we're hearing because we're watching, we're observing, we're paying attention. To me, that's, you know, when you're being empathic, you're really trying to understand what's right. going on. But then when you're compassionate, you try to do something about it if it's warranted. Right. If it's warranted. M most of the time, it probably is. Right. Right. So personal achievement, what are, are some of the key techniques from the negativity fast that can help sales professionals increase their positivity and reduce fear in their work? And that's important yeah. because so many people are saying, oh, God, I hate my job. I hate my boss. Blah, 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 blah. That doesn't help. What do oh, you no, it doesn't fix help. that? That'll make you even more negative and yep. that, that's not going to help you do anything. Uh, I have a lot of young people that come to me and they ask me, uh, how do you deal with all this rejection? And I said, why do you think you're being rejected? And they say, because they said no. Oh. And I said, well, they, they didn't say no to you. They said no to the offer that you gave them. So maybe you asked them for a meeting but you didn't tell them what they were going to get out of the meeting. So they said, no, or maybe you were thinking you're going to win a deal, which is great. And then you get the phone call that says, we decided to go another direction and that hurts too, but it's always a, what I would call two L's. You're either going to have a loss or you're going to have a lesson and you have to decide which one of those things you're going to leave that experience with. I would prefer if you wanted my advice to leave with a lesson. And if you can leave with a lesson, then you can do better in the future. But if you think that you lost something, uh, you really didn't lose anything. Like you're still here. Uh, you're still going to be successful in the future. It says nothing about anything that happens in the rest of your life. Uh, and, and then I generally like to tell them the story about my girlfriend when I was 17. Uh, her name was Jennifer. And when she broke up with me, I was 17. And she said, you're a loser. You're always going to be a loser. My mom thinks you're a loser. My sisters think you're a loser. And that's why I'm breaking up with you. I didn't really need all that. That was more than I needed. And she could have just said. Nice girl. That's a mean girl. At the time, she wasn't wrong. So let's say the trajectory that I was on at that time was not the trajectory that I'm on now. Anyway, uh, about... Two days before she died of an overdose, oh. uh, she, she called me and said, I want to apologize to you. You're not a loser. And uh, I, I really regret saying that. Uh, she didn't have to say that to me. I, I have no, like, I, I would forgive her for that, like, with no problem. It wasn't anything that was going to stay with me anyway. Anyway, but it was nice for her to do that. That's real rejection, though. When somebody tells you, like, it's not about anything except you. I would buy from some other salesperson that works for your company, but not you. That never happens though. They try to be as nice as they can. Even when they 
when they lie to us, which they do, when they come and they say, well, we decided to go another way, they'll say something like, well, they had a lower price than you. Now, they probably didn't, but that makes you feel like it wasn't you. And, and that's what most of the people who are making decisions try to do is just soften the blow as much as they can. So I don't think they should have to worry too much about that. If you decide, though, that something didn't go right, the event didn't happen the way you wanted it to, just figure out how would I do it better in the future? That's the only thing that you have is you have a future where you can try again, change your strategy and see if you can't get a better outcome. Exactly. And if people say, well, I lost it. Well, it wasn't yours to start with. So how did you lose it? Right. Like, so I prefer lessons and, you know, lessons can be tiny. I had a, you know, I get a lot of requests to come on this show and I had a very long, lengthy, pretty nice written email. And I had to respond after I read the whole darn thing and said, listen, all you gave me was a first name. You didn't tell me who this <laughs> person really is. How am I supposed to go find this person and make a decision on whether I even want to do a pre-interview? It, And I was nicer than that. I mean, I, I was, you know, not being ugly about it, but I'm hoping that there was a lesson this person learned about how to approach people. Just give us all the information we need. Keep it easy. Keep it simple. But yeah, absolutely. So I, that's just a small thing, but I was like, oh, I could have just deleted it. That wouldn't have been fair to her. She went to a lot of trouble. Right. And you can always be nice and still say no. And I may have to. I mean, looking at it, you know, from the description, it was really not a topic that I'm probably going to have a lot of interest in, but I would like to know more about the founder that she mentioned. Maybe there's something there. I don't know. So, you know, sometimes you have to do the back and forth, but you never just go, no, I'm not going to do this. You know, give it a little bit of a try. And if it's not going to work, no is my favorite word. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. I use it a lot. Every day I get about 10 emails from people who want me to put a link and one of my blog posts to one of their blog posts. And what's interesting to me is that no one offers reciprocity. Right. And you're like, you not, I mean, you were probably raised by wolves or something. Like you don't know to, to say, if you would do this, we could do this with you and we might have a collaboration, but they don't do that. It's really odd. Uh, and so sometimes yeah. I tell them like, you should don't probably- you I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. They, you they should change the strategy, you know? Right, right. It's like we're living in a mannerless society these days. Common sense, manners. I mean, you know, those two things should go together. Right. They don't seem to, though. Before we're done here, I do want to share uh, the three blessings for people who are listening to this, because this is one of the more powerful things that you can do to be more positive, more of the time, and less negative, less of the time. Share now. Okay. Uh, there's a, a person named Marty Seligman, and he is known as the father of positive psychology. There was no positive psychology before Seligman. And what he decided is uh, not everybody has to be with a, an analyst or they don't have to take uh, pharmaceuticals. And what we should try to get people to do is to flourish and to be happy and to be optimistic. And uh, he is the top of the stack for this kind of thinking and this kind of uh, research. So what happened to Seligman is he ended up as uh, a, a, the person on the cover of Time. And because they were on Time, it, there was a, a, a place where they were explaining that Seligman and an entrepreneur we're doing this survey for people to see about uh, their their anxiety, their stress, their depression. And what he had them do is called three blessings. So if you are a gratitude person, uh, I'm going to probably move you out of doing your gratitude in the morning and have you do it at the end of the day. And I'll explain why as we do this. Um, what Seligman had people do was to write down three things at the end of the day that went well for them and why it went well for them. And if you did that, on, oh, this is what Seligman says, if you do that 
for two weeks in a row, you do it the whole time, the anxiety, the stress, and even depression uh, started to just fade away. And it lasted for about uh, six months for those people. That's a long time. And Seligman's research, he believes that this is more powerful than a psychoanalyst, more powerful than pharmaceuticals. And that's by looking at those other things that could have been a choice for people. It is actually better than that. But here's what I would tell you about how to do this. Um, if you have a, a journal or if you don't have a journal, get a journal. And instead of just writing the three things down on a piece of paper, put it in a journal and then do this for a month. Do it for a whole month. Like every day do this before you go to bed, write down three things that went well for you and why they went well for you. And then at the end of a month, open that journal and start looking at all the good things that happened to you over a 30 day period. And you're going to look at this and you're going to say, it's pretty good here. Or There's I've a lot about that. You do that. I'll, you know, I'll look back at my day minder mm -hmm. and go, Oh, I did that. Ooh, good girl. When you see how many things go well for you, it starts to work backwards on your what's Robin. called negativity bias. So now you're not just taking in negative stuff, you're taking in all this positive stuff and you're writing it down and you're looking at just how much of your life is really good. Uh, it will cause you to be more positive than negative. So I think that's probably one recommendation I try to always make. You know, I, I practice gratitude all day, every day. And I do try to jump out of bed in the morning. My mom used to say the devil said, you know, she's awake. Oh, crap. Because <laughs> I just hit the floor running. <laughs> but she meant it, I think. My mom was mean. She's a little pocket Venus. She, she could jump like a flea, though. But, you know, I, I do try to practice gratitude deliberately, relentlessly, because there's so much to be grateful for. And I didn't used to be that way. I was always kind of cranky. And I got good and sick of myself over time. I really did. I knew it wasn't helpful. I knew I didn't feel good. You know, people seemed to like being around me, but I suspect that there were moments when they would look and say, what did she say? Because I don't have any filters. So, you know, I had to really take a look at myself, but what I have done forever, and I think Emerson, either, either Emerson or Einstein used to do this. I can't remember who now, but when I'm getting ready to actually go to sleep, when I can feel myself finally sinking into sleep, I will turn over something that's bugged me all day long. It was an answer to a piece of code that I was working on. It could have been something to do with money or anything, anything. And I will turn it over to my subconscious literally for review. And I'll look up at the ceiling fan, which I can't see because I'm in the dark, but I know it's there. I can feel it. And I'm looking up at the ceiling and I'm speaking it out loud. I'm speaking to God, spirits, whoever is listening to me. Again, I use that a lot. And my subconscious, and I'm telling you, Anthony, 318 in the morning, I wake up, I've got the answer. But I need to also incorporate that before I turn my problem over to my subconscious. I need to also soak in what I did right that day. So I'm adding that to my layer of, Denise, go to sleep. Denise, go to sleep. Uh, Denise, I shut my eyes and I am out. Just I like that. do that. Just I'm like so that. My, my wife is always mad. She's like, why do you go to bed so fast? And I'm like, once the eyes are shut, I'm out. Just like that. It takes me seconds to be completely asleep. And she Incredible. scrolls. Does she poke you in the side and go, you wait, you wait? <laughs> No, she she listens to um, podcasts, uh, all the ones that are like a, about murders and all kinds of stuff. And then she tells me uh, sh she had a bad dream. And I'm like, well, what were you listening to and watching before you you did that? But I, I go to sleep very, very fast. Um, I've known people like that. And I, I, my sister used to do that. We were in Arkansas one time. Our grandmother was dying and we were in a motel close to the hospital. And she moved to another room the next day. She says, I can't stand you. You're too cheerful. You wake up happy. I'm like, Sorry. <laughs> and she left. She literally went to another room. But I do. I wake up in the mornings. I'm like, gotta go. I got stuff to do. But I sleep is not 
a skill for me. Maybe, maybe one day I'll learn how to do it. But for right now, I think I'm okay with it. I hope you are. I, I tell people that on seven hours of sleep, I'm the Dalai Lama. Uh, on five, I'm Stalin. You know, I, I I need the sleep. I feel much better after I get a good night's sleep. Can See, I give uh, one? I have to tell you, I'm the opposite. If I sleep, if I go to, to bed and I wake up and I've slept seven or eight hours, I'm probably going to go to a walk-in clinic. I'm sick. There's something wrong with me. I kid you not. I'm groggy. I'm miserable. I don't feel good. It just doesn't work. You know, I guess we all have our own way. Yeah, of that's right. Yeah. Okay, Some people I, need I more. Some yeah. people need less. Yeah. Can I give them one more thing to do? You can do whatever you like. Okay. This is your yeah. show. I want to I wanna make sure I give them this one too. Um, a lot of people have uh, said something about certain things in this book. So I'll, I'll do two things. One, uh, for those who haven't read this, there is a place in there where I say that you never have to worry about the opinions of people who are not going to show up at your funeral. And uh, somebody corrected me and said, uh, you don't even have to worry about some of the people that are going to be there. <laughs> so uh, you don't you don't have to worry about other people's opinions. Uh, the people that care about you and the ones that you care about, those are what really counts. But I, I've done this for a very long time. So a lot of people like this story and I'll give it to you. And maybe you can do something like this. Uh, at the end of every year, uh, I go into the Humane Society and I buy all the dogs. And oh. I don't I don't keep all the dogs. I don't take the dogs, but I do pay for them. So I'm like a bondsman for 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 dogs. That's what I do. So I go and I buy them. Well, the last time I did this, they said, can we just keep the money? Because we have some dogs that are going to need training and other things. And it would be really helpful to just be able to hold on to that while we need it. And I said, sure, not a problem. Uh, what happened after that was they said, could you take a picture with this pit bull? And I said, yeah, I'll take a picture with the pit bull. And I did. And it's a big pit bull and it was a very playful dog, but it was a big dog. So it was a a little bit of work to keep the dog sitting next to me on this couch. They took a picture of it and they put it on their Facebook page. And then there's all these people saying like, this man is an angel and all these other things, but I, I don't think of it that way at all. I just care about people and I care about animals. I, so it's normal for me to do that. But the next day a woman came in and she bought every cat in the humane society oh. that had to be like 600,000 cats. I don't know how many, <laughs> there's so many cats in there and she bought all of them. But after she saw that picture that I bought all of them and I didn't take any of them home with me, but they got all the money, right? So they got the money from her and they got the money from me. And uh, that's just fun. Uh, I do this with uh, homeless people. Uh, I have a daughter who was with me when I gave a guy $80 and she said, well, he's going to buy drugs with it or he's probably going to get alcohol. And I said, I didn't give him the money to control him. I gave him the money because I have the money to give him. And I don't know what he's going to do with it. I hope he makes a good decision. But if he doesn't, I can't do anything about that. But I can try to help him. And so that's what I do. So I think I want you to know this is called Helper's High. So when you do something for another human being or a sentient being here, uh, you will feel way better. Like the negativity disappears because you're not focused on anything about you. You're trying to help another person. And if you do that, the whole, whole world gets a whole lot better. I didn't know that you had done that. And I'm... <laughs> One of my cats is sitting on my desk. He thinks that this is a podcast, BWD. I just <laughs> used his tail to wipe my tears off, just so you know. I got really teary-eyed when you said that because look, I'm a cat and dog person, and pits, are they can be the best dogs. I've had multiple pits over my time. I've only once in my life come across one that I thought, I don't know about you. And I avoided it, but they can be absolutely lovely dogs. And I'm so grateful that you shared that story. Yeah. And so if maybe somebody hears that, maybe they'll go and 
go to the humane society and don't have to take the dogs. Actually, uh, two other people who saw that on the humane society went in and bought two more dogs and another group went and bought two more dogs when they found out they didn't have to keep them, but they could give them the money. Of course you can give them the money, right? Right. Right. And then this uh, last two months ago, uh, that humane society ran out of dog food. So we, uh, we sent a shipment from uh, Amazon to take care of the dogs. You can do that anytime and you'll feel great about it. And it's called a helper's high. When you help people, it does all of the good things in your brain. So all the dopamine, all the serotonin, all of those things happen and uh, it changes you. All the endorphins, like everything goes great in your brain when you do something like this. So uh, this is a science-based book, but it doesn't have a lot of science in it. But if you... Um, want to find out where I learned some of these things as I was doing this, building my own negativity fast. Uh, in the back, there's probably 200 citations. So if you want to know more about gratitude, uh, gratitude is really important. And I have to say one thing about complaining before we leave, because we're getting sh short here, but let me well, tell you this about one. 10 more minutes and I want okay. you to as long as okay, you can. Cool. When you complain, if you are a constant complainer. Uh, I didn't know this when I was writing the book. I found out right after the book was published. If you continue to be a chronic complainer, your hippocampus and your brain will start to shrink. It literally will shrink. And that's responsible for memory and intellectual thinking. So you do not want to be a complainer. So I was a world-class complainer when I was young, all the way through my 30s until my maybe 40s. And I was constantly unhappy about all kinds of things. But now I just look around and think, this has got to be the best right here, right? I've got ice cream. I got pizza. I got people I love. I got dogs. I got friends. I got people who were kind enough to bring me on their podcast and read the book and give me that great uh, review. Thank you for that. So there's just so many things to be grateful of. And the gratitude can help you get rid of all that complaining. It's really the, the what you should do is to get rid of that and just be more grateful for everything that you have. I keep asking people, have you ever had ice cream? And I'm like, uh, yeah, it's good, right? It's yummy. It's really good. Yeah, you like it here, right? You ever have a good pizza? It's pretty good. Like all the things here are good. Uh, I don't know what it's like on the other side, but I know on this side, it's pretty good here. And uh, if I could stay, I would stay. But I think that if you can start thinking about the, how much you complain just to yourself, like you don't even have to say it out loud, but it will also, complaining will also hurt your mental health and your physical health. So those things are both true. It is true. And listen, I learned about gratitude from this podcast. When I tell you that my my guests are my mentors in many ways, I'm not joking. And this had to have been 10 or more years ago. And this man came on my podcast and he had been diagnosed with a terrible type of cancer. He was not going to live. That's what he was told. And you tend to believe what you're told sometimes. I don't, but a lot of people do. And because I want to test it, I want to go find out, is that true? Is it really true? Or is this complete nonsense? But he, he was, I think, five years down the road after this horrible diagnosis. And I had to ask him, how, how why are you still here? What did you do? He said, gratitude. Yeah. He shifted immediately into massive, relentless gratitude. And it saved his life. I believe that. And I believe that I know after reading all the science, when you just read about gratitude, I, the reason I cited this is because when I read all the stuff on gratitude, it's shocking. Like you can't believe it. Uh, it will give you better cognitive function. Uh, it will take, uh, reduce the inflammation in your body. It will, your brain, your brain. It will, you can feel it in your head. That's inflammation. Yeah, you can. Uh, you will have less chance of having a heart attack. Uh, you will have less stress, less anxiety, less depression. You'll have lower blood pressure. Uh, I mean, the it you you just see this giant long list of what gratitude does for us. 
And if you see that list, you just think that's a lot of things that gratitude's carrying as long as you do that work. So if you would do the three blessings or if you want to do it in the morning because you're a morning person and you want to do something to be grateful at the beginning of the day, you can do it both. You can do it at the beginning and at the end of the day and be grateful for everything that happened to you. And uh, that would help you feel a whole lot better. So I did this for me before I did this for you. Uh, I did this because I needed it and I've never gone back. I've never gone back. I'm still on the fast. So I'm trying to make the whole rest of my life still part of this negativity fast. So if you're interested in this, you can get the book uh, at Amazon or you can order it from Barnes and Noble. Uh, if uh, you do uh, do this, you could go to LinkedIn. And if you send me a, a note, I'll give you a workbook that you can use uh, to go through this process. Perfect. And I was just, one of my last questions was going to be about the 13 week negativity fast. So can you explain how that works and, you know, what people can expect during that period? I, I can tell you what happened to me and then I'll tell you a little bit about that. For me, I decided I was only going to do this for 30 days. At the end of 30 days, I just felt so much better. I got rid of all politics. I got rid of all news. I got all of that out of my life. And then I decided that maybe I could do it for another 30 days. And I did it for another 30 days. I felt even better after the 30 days. So now I'm 60 days in. And I thought, I feel so much better. I feel like all of this weight has been taken off of me. And I don't have to even worry about this anymore. And then I realized I made a mistake. So one of the mistakes that I made is even though I was trying to get rid of the negativity, I wasn't taking in positivity. So oh, for the next 30 days, I listened to Zig Ziglar. I listened to Stephen Covey. I lived to Tony Robbins, uh, Les Brown. I listened to nothing but positivity for that next 30 days. And then I've just stayed there. So here's what I would tell you. Don't try to get rid of your family members and your your friends that are negative. Don't do that. At the beginning of this, start getting rid of things that are not human beings. So the news, uh, some of the things that you probably read around politics, uh, spending time on social media, uh, that will definitely make you more negative than positive. Get rid of those first and then start trying to put in positive things that you can read or listen to, or watch if you do that, those those things will help you tremendously. Save the last part of this 13 weeks for the people that you do have to different, you just, you have to do something to get rid of those people and their influence on you. So if you're around negative people all the time, you will be negative, but save that to the end, because I think that relationships are the most important thing that we have here. And I would want to do this in a, a way that doesn't uh, harm them in any sort of way. But I do, I would, if you have a, a lot of people who are negative, you probably should try to move away from that. It's very hard to, to flip them to being positive. But if you give them the book, maybe they can, maybe they can make that uh, change. A lot of people have, I've had maybe 70, 80 people reach out to me and tell me they feel a lot better and they're never going back. Oh, good. And that's exactly why you did this. That is why I did it. I thought it was time. I'm kidding. I wanted to ask you before I cut you loose, reluctantly let you go. Are you familiar with the HeartMath Institute? Yeah. Me too. Love them. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to find out. I thought you might be. So before I let you go, is there anything else you wanted to, you know, speak to the audience about or share with? And of course, tell people again where they can find you. You can find me at thesalesblog.com or you can find me at LinkedIn. Those are two good places. And then my final word here is to say thank you again for having me on. You always are such a great host and I really appreciate you. You are welcome to come back anytime. And I am still tapping into this book. And I think there's a lot that we didn't cover. Would you like to come back maybe in another month or so? Love to. Okay, good, 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 good. And you know, I asked you that on the radio, so you can't tell me no. It's very tricky. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say no anyway. Oh, thank you. Well, listen, everybody, 
thank you so much for spending this time with us. Go find Anthony online. Connect with him. Get this book. Look, I have the only sales guide you'll ever need. It's a terrific book. Of the two books that I have on my desk, The Negativity Fast is the, the one that has been the most impactful to me. It's it's an amazing book. So I strongly recommend that you get both of these books in your entrepreneurial library. And as we conclude today's episode, your feedback means a lot to me. So if you found the show helpful, please support us with a quick review on iTunes. Your input is vital in my mission to inspire and empower more individuals. So don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a review, and share your part in Success Radio with friends and colleagues. And again, go look for Anthony Anarino on the web and connect with him. You will not be sorry. So thanks for tuning in, and I will see you next week. Anthony, again, thank you so much. Thank you. I got to jump, but I will try to reach back out and say hi again. Absolutely. I was going to call okay. you after, but I will later today. Okay. Sounds good. All right, Thank bye. you again. Okay. Sure. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.